The kettle began it. Don't tell me what Mrs. Peerybingle said. I know better. Mrs. Peerybingle may leave it on record to the end of time that she couldn't say which of them began it, but I say the kettle did. I ought to know. I hope. The kettle began it, full five minutes by the little waxy-faced Dutch clock in the corner, before the cricket uttered a chirp. As if the clock hadn't finished striking and the convulsive little haymaker at the top of it, jerking away right and left with a scythe in front of a Moorish palace, hadn't mowed down half an acre of imaginary grass before the cricket joined in at all. Why, I am not naturally positive. Everyone knows that. I wouldn't set my own opinion against the opinion of Mrs. Peerybingle unless I were quite sure on any account whatsoever. Nothing should induce me, but this is a question of fact. And the fact is that the kettle began it, at least five minutes before the cricket gave any sign of being in existence. Contradict me, and I'll say ten. Let me narrate exactly how it happened. I should have proceeded to do so in my very first word, but for this plain consideration... If I am to tell a story, I must begin at the beginning. And how is it possible to begin at the beginning without beginning at the kettle? It appears as if there were a sort of match or trial of skill, you must understand, between the kettle and the cricket. And this is what led to it and how it came about. Mrs. Peerybingle going out into the raw twilight and clicking over the wet stones in a pair of patterns, that worked innumerably rough impressions of the first proposition in Euclid all about the yard, Mrs. Peerybingle filled the kettle at the water butt. Presently returning, less the patterns, and a good deal less for they were tall and Mrs. Peerybingle was but short, she set the kettle on the fire. In doing which she lost her temper, or mislaid it for an instant for the water, being uncomfortably cold, and in that slippy, slushy, sleety sort of state wherein it seems to penetrate through every kind of substance, pattern rings included, had laid hold of Mrs. Peary Bingle's toes, and even smashed her legs. And when we rather plume ourselves, with reason to, upon our legs, and keep ourselves particularly neat in point of stockings, we find this, for the moment, hard to bear. Besides, the kettle was aggravating and obstinate. It wouldn't allow itself to be adjusted on the top bar. It wouldn't hear of accommodating itself kindly to the knobs of coal. It would lean forward with a drunken air and dribble, a very idiot of a kettle, on the hearth. It was quarrelsome and hissed and spluttered morosely at the fire. To sum up all, the lid, resisting Mrs. Peerybingle's fingers, first of all turned topsy-turvy and then, with an ingenious pertinacity deserving of a better cause, dived sideways in, down to the bottom of the kettle. And the hull of the Royal George has never made half the monstrous resistance to coming out of the water which the lid of that kettle employed against Mrs. Peerybingle before she got it up again. It looked sullen and pig-headed enough even then, carrying its handle with an air of defiance and cocking its spout pertly and mockingly at Mrs. Peerybingle as if it said, I won't boil. Nothing shall induce me. 
but Mrs. Perry Bingle, with restored good humour, dusted her chubby little hands against each other and sat down before the kettle, laughing. Meanwhile the jolly blaze uprose and fell, flashing and gleaming on the little haymaker at the top of the Dutch clock, until one might have thought he stood stock still before the Moorish palace, and nothing was in motion but the flame. He was on the move, however, and had his spasms, two to the second, all right and regular. But his sufferings, when the clock was going to strike, were frightful to behold, and when a cuckoo looked out of a trap door in the palace and gave note six times, it shook him, each time like a spectral voice, or like a something wiry plucking at his legs.